Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. right here on Block Talk Radio, ultimatesportstalk.com, and johnimdavisbooks.wix.com, LFL Network, alongside the uh, always informative Troy Wilson. Uh, and Kishi Free will be back next week. Uh, Oscar Lopez here. Uh, we had a great week, WFA, IWFL playoffs, and we even had the kickoff of the Maple Series up in Finland, as well as the uh, the Swedish League still going up in um over in Sweden, and also on top of that, the uh, German League's going, so we'll keep tabs on all those. You can follow us on Twitter for that as well, and we'll keep tabs on that, but today we have an exciting show. We have the always insightful insider, uh, Neil Rosenthal, who's going to be talking to us about the upcoming WFA and IWFL playoffs in the U.S. leagues, and congratulations to the uh, FXX Mexico divisions. Uh, we'll go into the recap later on in the hour, but congratulations to the three winners in those three divisions, as well as congratulations to the uh, evil queens of Culiacan out of the PGFL who won their championship uh, 47-32 versus the West Angels this weekend. You can see the recap and information on our Facebook page at Great Iron Beauties on Facebook. So, Troy, how's it going? Uh, pretty well. Um you know, went ahead and did some barbecuing this weekend, so I did enjoy that. But then, you know, of course, um, uh, hearing the sad news of the passing of one of my heroes, you know, one of my greatest heroes of all time, and you know, in Muhammad Ali, and and losing that guy was was just, you know, I mean, it was his time to go because he he was in pain, but. You know, hearing of his passing just saddened me so much. I, I remember I'm, I was I'm old enough to watch his last fight, um, the last fight he had against uh, Larry Holmes. And I just remember, you know, watching the fight. And as a kid, I don't know, you know, I didn't know anything. So I'm sitting there saying, man, this guy's a bum, you know. And my grandfather stood up, and, you know, I'd never seen my grandfather get, you know, that animated. 
And he stood up and he said, do you know who that is? That's Muhammad Ali. And then he's telling me the stories about Ali and all the things Ali did. And, um, you know, so I went and got books on him and I read up on him. And every now and then they would show video clips of this guy. And, you know, I just, I, I grew to admire him as a kid. And he was, he was, um, you know, actually, now that I think about it, he was probably my first, um, you know, uh, hero. I was, that was my first. Uh, touch of fandom is, is watching that guy. So uh, it was really saddening, but at the same time, you know, at least he's not in pain anymore. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't you can't put more than three words together to describe him in, in in simplicity. I would say charismatic as being probably the best one. Uh, very outspoken. So even on a sports political level, he made an impact on both sides. You know. So it was great that when you read his story, it's very inspirational. And, you know, he ma- he named himself the greatest. And I, I'm pretty sure that nobody's going to debate that. When you go back in history and read his biography and take a look at what he accomplished, and in the era and time that, that all happened, um, you know, nobody in this day and age can relate to that. But, uh, you know, but when you go back in history, like you said, history doesn't lie. It's facts. And uh, so he was a good ambassador for sports. Also, you know, kind of showed you that, you know, even when you're down and odds are against you, he was able to make a comeback. So, uh, you know, that's that's really what sports is all about, too. The fact that you can come back from some sort of injury or some sort of obstacle in your life and make some sort of, uh, you know, comeback. It was just, uh, you know, that he was probably one of the best uh, sports figures that you can just relate to that. Yeah, and he did that at the time, as, as you said, as, as people, you know, black people at the time didn't have much of a voice. And his voice was louder than anyone's. And, you know, and I'm speaking literally and figuratively, of course. <laughs> but, you know, he, he spoke up in a time where that was pretty dangerous for him. I mean, so he put a lot on the line as far as, you know, his, his livelihood. And he chose to do to, to fight for what was right instead of worrying about his own self and worried about, you know, making money, he decided to do things, uh, you know, for the right reasons. And he sacrificed a lot. And that, that kind of thing doesn't go unnoticed. I mean, he is, he's an absolute hero to me. And, you know, I, I'm, I was sad to see him go. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, I mean, Parkinson's is just one of these dreaded diseases that you just don't want anybody to be affected by. And and, and, then, and then couple that on top of, uh, you know, injuries from boxing. And then you have, you know, natural the natural occurrence of aging uh, that just, you know, didn't benefit. But, uh, you know, we, we always want to remember the good times and not so much the deterioration period. But what he stood for and what he did in not just in sports, but in the political realm, I mean, that's a – a lot of people will take pride in that, just like your uh, your grandfather said. You know, you need to go read up, brush your hair, and slap you right in the head <laughs> uh, to kind of remember what's going on. You know what I mean? That's that's what happens. Um, you know, sometimes we don't think of certain individuals as important in history, and we have to go back and reevaluate that and go, yeah, that you know, some people did make some sacrifices for us to to be where we're at today. Uh, so that's kind of a key. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, um, how about some of the things that I've been, uh, 
going over in the NFL. Uh, you got the mini camps that are going on. That's another thing I've been kind of paying attention to. It's it's one of those dog days, and it's getting there. You know, especially within you know the NBA finals wearing down and the NHL finals starting to slow down a little bit. Also, it's all that stuff's coming to an end. So these are kind of like the dog days for me, and I'm dreading the times where you know I don't have any basketball or hockey to watch because it's going to be that time where it's just going to be baseball, and sometimes baseball is not enough. So I'm dreading those times, but I'm glad I do get a chance to watch some LFL football, some, you know, get a chance to check out some WFA football. I mean, you got the playoffs coming up. So these type of things, at least now that I am immersed in this this culture now. So I don't think those dog days are going to be like they used to be. So I'm looking forward to uh, checking out some of these ball games coming up. They try, based on the CBA that was uh, uh, instituted last year, these OTAs are way different now this, these past two seasons than they ever were. And then we saw some of that, some of that effect in the preseason last year. So uh, given the agreement, I went back and kind of revisited that because we, I know we were going to talk about that. But given the agreement uh, on the um, collective bargaining agreement that each club has, uh, there's a voluntary nine-week off-season program that is conducted in three phases. So phase one being uh, consisting of t- the first two weeks of program with activities limited to strength and conditioning and physical rehab only. So that means there's probably, what, a select few people that coaches have to kind of monitor based on what they're coming back for this season on the roster. That's my take. And then phase two consists of the next three weeks of the same program. On-field workouts may include individual player instruction and drills, as well as team practice conducted on a separate basis. No live contact or team offense or team defense drills are permitted. Then phase three out of the whole is uh, it consists of the next four weeks after that, which is a month. Teams may conduct a total of 10 days of organized team practice activity or OTAs. No live contact is permitted, but seven-on-seven, nine-on-seven, or 11-on-11 drills are permitted. So the mandatory uh, CBA on this stipulates that the clubs may hold Mandatory minicamp for veterans. Uh, this would be minicamp noted below. Must occur during phase three of the off-season program. So a lot of legality here based on the CBA. So I think I think last year it did somewhat affect the preseason because if you don't have real contact uh, in like a month or two or eight weeks out, when you get to that you know, the preseason, a lot of people started to get hurt or they weren't, uh, you know, accustomed to some of the contacts. So what's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's something to, there's something to be said about that. So on one hand, uh, NFL clubs, they don't want their top players or any of their players for that matter being hurt during OTAs and um, whether it be mandatory or, uh, you know, or voluntary, you don't want these guys getting hurt. So, you know, when they do get hurt, you know, that's when you that's when the NFL started to indoctrinate these rules saying, you know, no contact. Of course, there's the head safety, um, you know, going on. They don't want the concussions going on. Uh, but at the same time, these players don't get a chance to hit. And so you have to – and sort of – you have to condition your body to get ready for, for contact like that. So it's it's kind of like a give-and-take thing, you know. 
how are you going to prepare your body to take on, you know, these massive hits that you're going to hit, I mean, that you're going to have without actually doing it? So, on one hand, these guys don't get a chance to tackle. And you start to see that at the beginning of the season. It's usually, um, you know, you, you see a lot of defenses out there that have problems tackling, you know, because they're just not used to it. You know, tackling the dummy that's just standing there and not going to, you know, and just waiting for you to hit it is a lot different than trying to tackle somebody like, you know, uh, LaShawn McCoy. It's just a, a whole different dynamic. So, on one hand, you have to protect the players. On another hand, it's like, you know, you start to lose a little bit by doing that. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, like like I was saying before, this is going to affect certain squads. Uh, maybe some of the coaching, individual coaching staffs are going to adjust differently to it, and based on their coaching, you know, uh, regimen, some teams are going to come out a little better in terms of the first week of the preseason than others, and you're you're going to start to see that. I think more so now going forward than you did the year before that. So, um, Troy, let's go ahead and bring in our uh, women's gridiron insider, uh, the talented and always informative Neil Rosenthal. So, Neil, are you on? Hey, Oscar, how you doing? Uh, Neil, how's it going today? Uh, thanks uh, for coming in. I know it was kind of la- last-minute notice, but uh, really wanted to, you know, get into this playoff mode, especially after week 10 here. Um, and, you know, we had an exciting weekend in the WFA with uh, – Chicago beating uh, Pittsburgh, and then you had the, your, your Divas taking care of Boston. And no surprises, I don't think, in either or, because we had talked about it in the uh, scenarios before. So what's your take on, the, on, those, on those two games that came out so, somewhat what we, talk, what we talked about? Yeah, um, it, it's, it's kind of a little bit what we expected. Um, actually... I think coming in, the Divas had the number one seed. Uh, at least they were in the position for that. And then Chicago was a close number two. So there was always this thought of, are the DC Divas going to be able to beat Boston by enough of a margin to sort of clinch the one seed? Uh, Chicago, of course, had just come off a very lopsided win over Boston in the game that Cahill went out. And so that was sort of the big question with the Divas is uh, were they going to be able to sort of have that same sort of margin or would a close win potentially give an opening there for, for Chicago? As it turned out, the Divas were able to, to win that game fairly convincingly, uh, 55-7. Again, Boston still trying to find uh, an offensive identity post Cahill here. Uh, And uh, for Chicago, um, they were going to have any chance to sort of move up into that one spot. They were really going to need uh, uh, almost a blowout type of performance against Pittsburgh, and they really didn't get that. Um, Pittsburgh hung around. Uh, Pittsburgh had a, a very uh, respectable showing there in Chicago, uh, lost by a couple of touchdowns, but it wasn't anything close to the lopsided victory that Chicago had put up uh, against Boston two weeks earlier. So it wound up being – uh, uh, as it was going into the final week, uh, none of the rankings changed, and and frankly, I think that's probably right as far as uh, the DC Divas at seven and one. Their only loss uh, to the Western Conference, uh, leading uh, Dallas Elite, the number one team in the country, the Dallas Elite, and for the Divas, uh, having gone seven and zero against the Eastern Conference and having not only beaten Chicago, the two seed, but having beaten Boston, the three seed, twice. 
I think it it it, it was kind of uh, what we had expected going in, and and Massey, as it often does, uh, wound up uh, I think getting it right uh, as far as seedings. Now, of course, once the games are starting to be played in the postseason, all bets are off. You know, it's uh, it's going to be an exciting postseason. This is the most exciting uh, time of the women's football season, and it's 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 finally here. So as we go into the, the playoffs this coming weekend, we have um, Kansas City is going to be taking on Arlington, right? Yeah, four, uh, four games this weekend uh, in WFA 1, uh, four conference quarterfinal games. You have uh, the Cleveland Fusion going at uh, the Boston Renegades and the Atlanta Phoenix going at the uh, Pittsburgh Passion. Uh, those are the Eastern Conference quarterfinal matchups, and then out west you have the Arlington Impact, Kansas City Titans, and the Pacific Warriors going up to Portland to take on the Fighting Shockwave. Those are your four games. Uh, Should be all kind of uh, interesting in their own right. I think if you look at those four games, probably the most compelling one on paper is the Pack Warriors at the Portland Fighting Shockwave. That's, I think, going to be a really interesting game. If you look at Massey, which is one of the things that I like to look at before a game in terms of, you know, of course we don't have Vegas, we don't have point spreads, we don't have things of those nature, uh, uh, but in women's football, but Massey, of course, does does its own sort of projections, and it's interesting to see. I look at that as to sort of give sort of a baseline in terms of uh, matchups. Uh, the other three conference quarterfinal games, uh, the home teams are all favored by – uh, 20 points or more, uh, but in the Pack Warriors uh, Portland Fighting Shockwave game, uh, it's actually a six-point uh, spread, a six-point advantage uh, to the home team Portland, which it's it's usually gonna it's gonna favor the home team because Massey has them ranked higher, which is why they're the home team. Um, but uh, uh, it should be a, a very very good game. I think that's certainly a game to watch. The Portland Fighting Shockwave undefeated at eight zero and. A lot of people wondering, uh, as as we came down the home stretch, if they were going to be able to have home field advantage over the Pack Warriors and the questions of that. Uh, the Pack Warriors, I think a lot of people underestimate them because they do have two losses. But both of their losses are to the Central Cal War Angels, who are the top-ranked seed on, on the West Coast. You know, those aren't uh, embarrassing losses by any stretch of the imagination. The Pack Warriors are a very good team, and I think – they're the kind of team that could go up to Portland and make things interesting, at least. And, and that, to me, is a game that's that's really exciting and, and worth watching because I think both of those putting some, some real offensive fireworks on the board. And uh, uh, it should be uh, – that, to me, is, is the most exciting of the four conference quarterfinal games. Hey, Neil. Now, we Troy. have – go ahead. Go ahead, Troy. Hey, um, Neil, I wanted to ask you um... – Dallas, D.C., Central Cal, Chicago. Okay, so these teams effectively are going to get 21 days off. How do you think that bodes for each one of those teams? Like, do you see that as a as a negative because you don't get a lot of reps during that time? You might get a little stale. These are some of the things that you hear sometimes when you get long layoffs, but this is a more, more of a layoff than I've, I've seen. Most of the time you see teams that get two weeks off but this is going to be three weeks off from them being having any kind of contact. So do you, do you think this will help them, or do you think this is a possibility it can hinder them? 
Well, I mean, you can certainly see both sides of it. It's it's funny when you ask that question because I'll, I'll share a story with you. I was actually I was mentioning that to uh, there was a couple of of, of, of divas players, uh, one being Melissa Washington, who is our, our tight end, and another being uh, Kenyatta Grigsby, who is our terrific uh, running back. And I, I mentioned this this you know three week layoff potential of the two of them, and Melissa Washington, who is a uh, you know, who, who's, who's, I think, uh, three or four years now of experience with the Divas. Uh, she's in her third or fourth year with the team. She expressed the notion of, man, three weeks off, it's a lot of time off. You know, you need to practice. You need to stay uh, sharp. And, you know, the you could wind up being a little bit rusty with all that time off. And then Kenyatta Grigsby, who's right next to her, who is a 13-year veteran of women's football, said, I'll take the three weeks off. <laughs> she said, I'll get healthy. <laughs> She says, I'm no argument. Weeks, I'm going to come in. I'm going to be healthy. So, you know, I, I think, you know, it's sort of the difference between a vet, somebody who's been around three years and somebody who's been around 13. Uh, I, I think, you only as much as you, you let it affect you. I think for the Divas and uh, Central Cal um, and, and Chicago to an extent, I, I think it affects Dallas the least because, you know, honestly, their game in three weeks is a game where I think they'll probably be heavily favored regardless of who it is. And even Chicago, to an extent, you probably expect the same just given uh, Boston's struggles and how that, that game went uh, in game in, in week eight should they face uh, the Boston Renegades. Um, maybe a little bit more of a concern for, for teams like Central Cal and, and, and D.C. But even then, I think, you know, it's it's – it's one of those things that I think people use as an excuse regardless. I mean, I think if you have a team come out and be very successful uh, in the conference semifinal who's had a bye, you're going to say, oh, well, they're rested. And if they come out struggling early, then they're going to say, oh, well, they're rusty. So I think it's it's all about how individual teams do it. It's all about how the individual players prepare. And uh, it's something to watch out for. It is kind of unusual to have three weeks off, but I don't think those teams uh, certainly will be complaining uh, to have that amount of time off after, you know, what what is is a, a grueling women's football season. Most of these teams having played eight games in ten weeks, I think, uh, for most of them, they'll, they'll certainly take the time off. So, so this kind of goes to that question, and you you just were alluded to, um, you know, teams that may struggle, you know, depending upon the team that they play. In your opinion. Who has the toughest path, and who has the quote-unquote easiest path to the championship? Um, uh, of of those four potentially, I mean, obviously, if you're looking at at some of the lower seeds, it's always going to be harder, uh, in my mind, to have to win three to get to a, a championship game than having to win two. I think you know that buy is a huge thing because you honestly look at the schedule and you're like. You know, we're we're one win away essentially from the conference championship game, and you know, for a lot of other teams, if you're a five or six seed, it just gets tough. If you are in a position where you have to pull an upset on the road, and then even if you do, you have to turn around two weeks later and try to pull another upset on the road, potentially against an, an even tougher team. So, it's you know, I think when you look at at, at the individual matchups, it's kind of interesting. I think in the East, the interesting dynamic is. I think the Divas actually have a tougher time uh, uh, in terms of potentially getting in the conference championship game than maybe Chicago does. Uh, the Divas are the number one seed in the East. But 
they're going to play the four five winner, which means they're going to play Pittsburgh uh, or Atlanta. And Pittsburgh being the higher seeded team, if Pittsburgh wins, I think Pittsburgh as a four is actually a stronger team right now than Boston as a three, given Boston's uh, uh, you know offensive struggles without Cahill. I mean, Boston is coming off back to back blowout losses and having you know having to try to find that that uh, momentum with you know without Cahill, who's just you know impossible to fully replace. So if you actually look at it in a vacuum you could make the argument that right now the four-seeded Pittsburgh is a stronger team than the third-seeded uh, Boston. But even with that said, I think it's, it's very important for the D.C. Divas, they'll risk playing a uh, four-seeded Pittsburgh for the potential that should they win, they'd get to host the conference championship game. That to them is huge. And so, you know, it's, it's worth it in their minds. Um, out West, it's really – I mean, I, 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 I think it's pretty clear that Dallas has the easiest pass championship game. There's no question in my mind that that's true. I mean, you're looking at a Dallas team who's going to play the winner of Kansas City and Arlington. No disrespect to those teams. I think Kansas City in particular, an excellent team. The Sowers Twins, two of my favorite players. I love their dynamic. I love that they're basically two people who <laughs> essentially make a team there, you know, uh, just surround those two with, with, with a supporting cast and you, you've already, you've got yourself a contender right there. But I just think, you know, if you're looking at Dallas and you're looking at it realistically, they've played both Arlington and Kansas city and won both of those games uh, handily in, in terms of uh, the game, not coming down to the fourth quarter. And so, you know, I, I think you have to favor Dallas in terms of, having the easiest path to maybe the conference title game out West. It's just, it's, it's, it's very exciting. It's an interesting toss up. I think if the pack warriors were able to upset Portland, um, we've seen that pack Warriors central Cal game before they're good competitive games. I don't know if the pack warriors have what it takes to overcome the fact that they lost twice to central Cal and those games didn't exactly come down to the final two minutes. Um, but if it's Portland Central Cal, I mean, hey, you're talking about two teams that Portland, Portland's got a huge chip on their shoulder in the sense that they are the lowest ranked team amongst the undefeated, and they're going to sit back and say, hey, if we beat, we beat Portland, if we beat the Pack Warriors and go to nine and zero, you know, this is our chance to really make some waves and get some respect by going in and and having a, a clash of undefeated between Portland and Central Cal. So. That's kind of uh, how I view all, all four of them. I would have to say Dallas probably has the easiest path to the conference title game. And then, uh, you know, the other three, I mean, hey, it's, it's a battle. Once, once the playoffs start, uh, these are all good teams that have, that have earned their way in, and, and, and that's what makes the playoffs so exciting. Awesome, awesome. So, Neil, the fusion, let's just look at scenarios here for the playoffs. Cleveland – Given uh, Boston's offensive uh, issues now, Cleveland does have an opportunity here to upset, if we want to call it an upset. Um, they would have to really put a good game together against Boston. Um, I Do you feel like at this point Boston's going to improve? They've gotten – offensively, they've gotten beaten because there's no consistency there, and, and obviously losing Allison is a big, you know, big factor we talked about. But do you feel like the backup quarterback at this point might – after a couple reps of playing two strong teams might uh, overcome and then 
beat Cleveland, or are we looking for Cleveland here as a kind of an upset for Boston and end their season, uh, given the offensive uh, mishaps? Uh, I think for for the Cleveland-Boston game, and this actually goes a little bit for the Atlanta-Pittsburgh game as well, I would feel much more confident in predicting an upset or a possible upset if we were talking about the Cleveland and Atlanta teams of 2015. I think both of those teams aren't, for whatever reason, it hasn't quite clicked the way that it did last year, and so they're still trying to find that, that kind of identity. And so when you look at the Cleveland-Boston matchup specifically, um, you know, Cleveland, they, they've, really, they've really had a hard time. You know, I, I think last year they, they, they turned a lot of heads. Uh, that was really the first time that they were able to really make waves was last year when they played Boston and really played them toe-to-toe for the most part in, in a game that kind of went back and forth. And I, I think Cleveland felt like they had a chance to win, and everybody sort of stopped and said, whoa, hold on a second. You know, how about, how about Cleveland? I think it's for Boston, they're clearly the favorites. They have a ton of talent on that team. There's just absolutely no question. They're still loaded with talent. One of the things I say is Cahill goes down, but their defense is still 100% intact. This is still the same defense they've always had. I think their so would this issue be, Neil, is, so this is, is going to be more of a – Yeah. Well, Boston's going to be more of a uh, – they have to shift their gears to more of a handoff, so they'd have to go to Zeely and whoever else can supplement the running game. I think that's going to be the key right there instead of the passing game. Well, I think I think that's the difficulty for Boston is, you know, they still have a defense that's terrific, but the problem is is with Cahill having gone down, what you've seen is, and you saw this in, in the Chicago game and you've seen it in the, in the D.C. game, is that their defense has to be on the field all, you know, a lot because they have a difficulty sustaining right. drives, and I don't care how good your defense is, that's going to be a lot Burn more taxing than it would otherwise be. So, yeah, I think yeah. for me personally, I think – you know, if you're looking at one player in particular to watch in the uh, in the Eastern Conference uh, uh, quarterfinal matchups, for me, the player to watch is Adrienne Smith. Um, she finished the regular season number one in receptions with 52 uh, receptions on the year. She finished with uh, 737 uh, receiving yards, which was tops in the WFA, and she also had 12 receiving touchdowns, which was tied for the most in the WFA and for a wide receiver, that's sort of like a triple triple, triple crown right there in terms of, uh, you know, uh, receptions and receiving yards and, and receiving touchdowns. And I feel like Boston needs to find creative ways to get the ball in her hands because she's still sort of one of those game breaking uh, playmakers who, if you can, if you can find ways to get her the ball and I don't know, you know, without a quarterback, uh, without, you know, Cahill, uh, you know, no, no, no disrespect to Shante Bonds or, or the other quarterbacks that they have playing that position, but you know, do you have Adrienne Smith take a couple of snaps under center? Do you ha- do you give her the ball and reverse it? Do you? I mean, how do you get her more involved? Uh, we saw the diva saw with Zeely. She's just not a hundred percent back yet. I mean, she's just she's right. she's not she's not the Zeely of 2013 that we that we knew and loved. At, at this right. point right now, I mean, or they'd be leaning on her a lot more than, than they have. For 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 Boston, it's looking like, you know, uh, and, and frankly, if Zeely, if Zeely were at that, you know, at that point, 
I don't think they would have had Cahill chucking the ball around as much as, as, as they had in the regular season either. So I think they have to focus on, again, they have so many weapons and so many playmakers, but how do you get them the ball, particularly the wideouts, when the running game is having a hard time materializing and now the quarterback spot is a question. For me, finding all sorts of different ways and creative ways of getting Adrian Smith the ball, you know, kick returns, punt returns, you know, find a way to put the football in her hands because she's the kind of person who can absolutely break it. Uh, and, you know, does Cleveland have a response for that? I don't know. I mean, Cleveland, if you have a Cleveland fusion, you have to sense, you have to say, look, this is our, this is our opportunity. I mean, this is our chance to go into Boston, Cahill or no Cahill, Cleveland's got to be looking at this and saying, Hey, it's, a, it's finally a chance for us to get a, get a big W over Boston. So, um, it's certainly one that we're going to uh, be watching, and Cahill's absence makes you put it on upset alert. But Boston's still an extremely talented team and very tough at home, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that one goes. If we break down the East, uh, we get the matchup that we all wished for uh, the last time we talked, which was uh, we're looking at probably Pittsburgh Divas in in this, in this playoff mode. Uh, pretty pretty good incentive for the passion to. Uh, move forward because they're hosting the cha- the national championship. So a uh, big step right there, not taking anything away from Atlanta, but Atlanta hasn't played as well as, like you said, last year either. So uh, I don't know. I just, I, I just think uh, Lisa Horton and, uh, you know, Coach Wall and everybody else in Pittsburgh looking forward to Atlanta. And I, if they get past Atlanta, at this point we have our matchup. We have the East Coast matchup that we all wanted, which was the champs versus the IWFL back-to-back champs. Uh, one step before the national championship. Um, so you, you're looking at uh, them, uh, D.C. versus Pittsburgh, and then it would be a rough test now because uh, it would be Pittsburgh's test. You know, how we talked about how the difference between the two leagues, if the passion gets past uh, Atlanta, they meet the Divas, and somehow they get past uh, the Divas then uh, they're potentially looking at Chicago to just make it to the national championship, right? Yeah, well, I think, when, you know, coming into the season, everybody sort of had that as, as a top four in terms of uh, Boston, Chicago, D.C., Pittsburgh. Those were your four. Um, and you, you kind of figured it might come down to the conference semifinals and conference championships, those four. Could certainly happen. Again, I would feel much better about picking – uh, the potential upset or, or what have you in terms of Atlanta over Pittsburgh, if we were talking about the Atlanta team from last year. Atlanta's team last year, um, it's, it's, it's very interesting. They were they were extremely well coached last year uh, in terms of technique, and they came out fiery and they came out passionate. They played to the whistle. They occasionally played past the whistle. <laughs> I think that was a little bit of the uh, uh, of the problems that some of the people had there. Their coach, I think, you know, they made a coaching change. I think that was uh, a very good move in terms of sportsmanship. But uh, at the same time, I don't see necessarily the same level of technique from them. They're still trying to figure it out. And I think one of the big things with Atlanta, and I know this because the Divas played Atlanta earlier in this year, is, you know, uh, there were there were people on the Divas team who, who still were just marveling at the level of talent on Atlanta. But the problem is, and particularly if you're going to try to compete in the top level of the WFA, you have to have a full coaching staff. You can't go in with three coaches. You can't say, okay, we have a head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and call it good enough. 
I mean, it's it's not just about players in women's football. It's also about developing the talent you have. And, and in little ways often. And if you don't have position coaches and a full contingent of position coaches to give the players the one-on-one instructions they need to get better, it's, it, it's, it's really tough. And I think that's kind of been Atlanta's challenge. Um, like I said, last year, um, maybe I would be a little more inclined to say, watch, you know, circle this game and watch out. I think Pittsburgh probably takes care of business. I think if you're Pittsburgh, Realistically, you're saying this is a home game, and you know, and unless unless Cleveland makes some kind of tremendous run, you basically have to win two on the road uh, to get back to Pittsburgh and to get back home. And so, you know, they're definitely going to be, you know, uh, uh, using the home field advantage and uh, enjoying this home playoff game, knowing that you're looking at two tough ones on the road if you get past Atlanta. And, 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 yes, then, honestly, if we're having an honest discussion, first of all, yes, that's, that's the game that I think everybody wanted to see, WFA champ, IWFL champ, only six hours apart, let's, let's see him play. But also, if you're Pittsburgh, you know, there's always this lingering thing of can we beat Chicago, Boston, D.C. in the playoffs? I mean, that has, that has been their thing because – you know, they won the national title in 2007 uh, in the NWFA. Uh, but then once we had sort of the one-top league, they had a six-year run where they missed the playoffs and they went collectively 0-5 against Boston, Chicago, D.C. in the playoffs. And that was the hump they couldn't quite get over to the point uh, after the 2013 season that they left, went to the IWFL, didn't have to play any of those teams. <laughs> And not having to play any of those teams, they promptly uh, ripped off 22 in a row, two straight championships, came back to the WFA. Now, one of the things that you've seen from Pittsburgh this year is they've lost to Boston. They've lost to Chicago in the regular season. Both of those games are very competitive, though, uh, you know, reasonably close. They're not losing these games by 40. They're in these games. I think a lot of people thought, particularly with Chicago having all the incentive in the world to try to win that game by a lopsided margin, uh, in, in, in a long shot to potentially try to uh, uh, overtake and, and get uh, the Divas and get the one seed in the East. The fact that Pittsburgh hung around and hung strong and hung tough right there with Chicago says that, you know, Pittsburgh is not a team to be trifled with. They're, they are certainly a top four uh, talent team in the East, but can they get over that hump? Well, first they got to get past Atlanta, then we'll talk about that. But, you know, that's kind of, that's, realistically the the Pittsburgh passions the story of their season the story of their past decade honestly is you know how how do they get when they get to that point but got to take care of Atlanta first and and like I say Atlanta's a very physical team but I don't know if they have if they're sound enough technically to really push uh, 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 the Pittsburgh passion to the wire in that game now uh, Neil WFA2 uh, basically a four-way. Uh, you got Keystone, Richmond. Richmond was impressive. Uh, WFA three, right? But it's WFA three. Yeah. Uh, Richmond. Yeah. Richmond, Keystone, uh, Academia, and South Oregon. Uh, South Oregon also somewhat impressive because they were playing uh, the Shockwave and the Majestics and Tacoma and everybody else. So, um, given the logistics and everything else, you know, because they're, you know, you're talking Oregon to Louisiana and uh, Pennsylvania to uh, Virginia, which is a lot closer. 
um, the scenarios there is if, uh, let's say, the late, uh, Oregon upsets Acadania, we're looking at uh, maybe Acad- uh, Oregon versus Richmond. Uh, it's going to be a trip. So is, is, is the championship for the WFA3 in the same in, in Pittsburgh? Um, it is. WFA, um, WFA2 and WFA3 are both going to be played on Friday. Actually, the oh, July, okay. uh, July what is twenty second, okay. I believe. But then, the, and then yeah. the next day, the Saturday is the All Star Game in the morning, and then the WFA One Championship at night. Oh, okay. and I know a lot of WFA Two, WFA Three teams aren't thrilled about the cross playing on Friday, but uh, you know, in terms of getting people there and getting people off work, but I think logistically, that's just sort of the way it works out. You want the All Star Game and WFA One Championship game to be sort of on the uh, on the main day which is Saturday and then you know uh, you had three games uh, last year uh, on the championship game day you had a bowl game the Alliance Bowl and the All-Star game and the championship game and three games was a lot to squeeze in on one day so this separated it out Um, uh, also the Alliance Bowl is no more this year Uh, they've scrapped that Uh, the WFA is just going with the three divisional championships and the all-star game, those four games uh, are enough. Um, WFA three is interesting. Um, it's, it's hard to gauge because the WFA hasn't actually come out yet and stated what the brackets are or how, you know, how the teams are going to be selected. They've done that deliberately uh, because WFA three is a tier that's filled with a lot of teams that are much, much smaller organizationally. They've always added in the caveat. This is, uh, pending travel uh, concerns or travel availability, uh, which is really just code for saying that if Southern Oregon were to have to travel to uh, Arcadiana, that uh, I'm, I'm probably not even saying that right, but uh, if they had to go play the Zydeco, uh, and I love those guys, by the way, they're they're just they are so fired up about their team and being you know being number one in the in WFA three. That's what I, that's what I love about this the division. But the reality is travel uh, makes it hard for me, and, and I said this as we were leading up to it, it makes it hard to see Southern Oregon going all the way down to play the Zydeco. Could they? Certainly could. I mean, based on seedings, what the WFA has said is we're taking two teams per conference that will play essentially a game where the winners will meet in Pittsburgh. So a four-team bracket, two teams per conference. Um, how those two teams are being selected, that they haven't stated. And that's relevant because in the East, you have Richmond, who's the number one team in the East by ranking in WFA3. Then you have Keystone, who's number two, and Daytona, who's number three. Daytona is a Southeast team. They might argue, hey, we're the best team in the Southeast in WFA3. Uh, but I, I, you know, and in theory, that's true. But, you know, I, I, th- I suspect the WFA is probably going to just go a straight Eastern Conference. Uh, and take the top two teams in the East in WFA 3. So what they did in WFA 1 is what they're doing in WFA 2. I assume it's what they'll do in WFA 3. And Keystone played, hosted Richmond earlier this year, and that was a 12 nothing game. So low scoring but competitive. And I think uh, people would uh, – I think that would be an entertaining WFA 3 Eastern Championship game. And in the West, again, right now you're looking at number one being the Zydeco, whose name I'm sure I butcher every time. 
but uh, they can they can contact me and give me a phonetic correction. Uh, and then you have the southern the Southern Oregon Lady Renegades. Their difficulty is: are they really going to go all the way across the country, play the Zydeco, and if they win, go home, come all the way across the country uh, to Pittsburgh to to try to win the championship? Now they might. We've seen teams like the Madison Blaze and the IWFL who are like, you know, travel, let's do it, you know, and it's possible, but I don't know. So that's something we'll have to wait and see. Uh, uh, that's how the WFA 3 is going to shake out um, on that tier. To me, I love all three tiers. Like I say, the WFA 3, those people are passionate about it. They want to win the championship on that, on that level and uh, potentially build toward being in WFA 2. I've said, you know, WFA 2 is – that playoff system could be every bit as interesting and compelling as WFA 1. I think, you know, other other than the Utah Falcons, I think it's every bit as interesting and compelling as the IWFL playoffs, for my money. WFA 2, I think there's some excellent, excellent teams in that division. And, uh, and of course, WFA 1, by the time you get to the conference championships in WFA 1, you're really looking at – a compa- you know, every game is a compelling matchup between two of the very best teams in the sport and uh, something uh, well worth watching. So that's, you know, that's sort of how the three divisions are shaking out right now in the WFA. Now, WFA 2, when we talk about it, very talented squads so far this year. Tampa Bay, Inferno, Alabama Fire on one side. Uh, Mile High has played pretty decent. Um, Sin City has played pretty decent. St. Louis has pretty much a resurgence, the Phantoms, uh, the Philly. So based on the rounds uh, that we're looking at right now, uh, the Crash, who had, who's had a pretty good season, against Columbus, who hasn't had a, a, such a great, as much great season. So Indy Columbus will meet up the Phantoms, which the Phantoms are very impressive. They could be considered Tier 1 in some aspects. They've stayed pretty competitive with some of the Tier 1 teams in terms of scoring. Uh, Tampa Bay... And, and Alabama is sort of a rivalry there, building in WFA2 because of the location and everything. So they get the, Alabama gets to face the Jacksonville Dixie Blues, which I, I think my money would have to be on the fire at this point. They would get to face the Inferno, which is a harder test to go there. And then it would be Philadelphia, Tampa Bay, if I had to choose, which is a very good matchup. Then you go to Mile High versus Everett. Um, and then Sin City, the winner there would have to go to face, I, I'm assuming, St. Louis at this point. Um, and then you have the matchups that, you know, you'd have Philly, Tampa Bay, uh, St. Louis versus uh, maybe Sin City or Mile High. So pretty interesting in WFA, too, also because of the amount of talent on that side, too. And you can consider, I think, Tampa Bay and maybe Philly and St. Louis tier one in a lot of aspects, um, you know, in that sense to upgrade to, but um, they're probably the, the top three teams in that tier in terms of the playoffs to see what they're going to end up. It would be a great story at this point uh, for the slam to take on the Inferno or for the slam to take on uh, the Phantoms in that, in that tier. Yeah. I think uh, again, I, I, I love, the matchups in WFA too. I, I think some of those matchups are going to be really, really interesting and, and compelling. Uh, this week you have four, uh, three conference quarterfinal games. Uh, you have the Columbus Comets going to play the Indy Crash, and 
love the Columbus Comets. The Columbus Comets are one of those teams that's absolutely fearless. Uh, they're, they're one of those teams that they'll play anybody, anywhere. For years and years and years, they would go play Boston. They'd go play Chicago. They'd go play D.C. You know, they'd go play Pittsburgh repeatedly. And without, you know, without any complaints at all, even though they were probably overmatched uh, uh, against, you know, the organizational strength of some of those teams, didn't care. They just they, they wanted to play against the best, and I always loved that about them. They would never, ever back down. And, uh, you know, I, that's one of the things I'm excited about with this particular tier is, you know, now they have an opportunity to play in a playoff format that really suits them and is interesting. Uh, they're going to play the Indy Crash. Honestly, right now, Massey has uh, Columbus as something like a uh, eight-point underdog. So Indy is an eight-point favorite at this point, but it's not huge. I think, you know, I think that could be a very, very good and interesting game between, you know, I think that could be a competitive matchup between Indy and, and, and Columbus. And you know, same thing for Indy. You know, they don't have a first-round game against Chicago where they're they're looking to get slaughtered sixty to nothing in a conference quarterfinal. They could legitimately make a run on this level potentially. Um, now the tough thing with them is, you're right, the winner plays the Philly Phantoms, and the Philadelphia Phantoms have looked excellent this year. I, I think I've been very impressed with how they've gone toe-to-toe with teams like Boston, with teams like uh, uh, with teams like uh, the DC Divas, where, you know, they, they're a first-year team, and I think coming in, you kind of thought maybe they'd be a Philly Firebirds type of team. I think they've kind of gutted the Philly Firebirds uh, who are really struggling over in the IWFL this year because a lot of the talents migrated to the Philly Phantoms. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a team that doesn't back down from anybody for a first-year team. And, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're uh, full of confidence. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a really uh, uh, excellent organization on the field. So I think, you know, in terms of athletic talent competitiveness, they're a team that could, could absolutely win the East here. Um, in the southeast, it's uh, you know you have Jacksonville playing the Alabama Fire, and I always love these games where you have a team like Jacksonville, who's going on the road, who's an underdog, who's been around like 15 years, to play a team that's the first year team in the Alabama Fire. I never know if that experience necessarily plays out uh, on the field because individual players might have different levels of experience. But I always find it, it interesting that, uh, all right, here, here's the Alabama fire. And, uh, again, if you were to have, uh, if the Alabama fire, you know, were to win that game, I mean, realistically right now you have, uh, if Jacksonville plays the, uh, the, the Tampa Bay Inferno, we've seen that game before. I mean, we've seen it, and again, you know, maybe Jacksonville can overcome, but Tampa really kind of has the advantage. If you look at Tampa-Alabama, that's your matchup in the in the semifinal. That is a whale of a game because Alabama seven and one. Their only loss is to Tier One Atlanta. Uh, Tampa Bay is eight and zero, and uh, you know, with one win over Atlanta, which Alabama has too. I mean, that's a game that right now, and it could change if that winds up being the matchup. Right now, Massey would project that as a four-point, but certainly not a game that, that Alabama couldn't uh, uh, come in and, 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 and win, you know, by the margins that Atlanta has, or Alabama has been winning games already. I, I think the Alabama, an Alabama-Tampa game would be a heck of a football game to, to watch, given that they 
haven't played each other, kind of played in separate neighborhoods. Um, that would be a whale of a matchup, and either of those teams would be uh, 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 certainly against a team like Philadelphia or a team that upset Philadelphia, uh, I think, would be uh, an outstanding game to watch, too. So I love how the East is shaping up in, in WFA, too. Love the teams. I think they got the right teams uh, for the most part, and uh, you know, I think that's true on all of the levels, honestly. I think uh, the teams that are there are the teams that needed to be there. But in WFA 2, there was a little more competition for spots. Uh, so I wanted to throw that in there. Um, but, yeah, the East looks great. Um, in the West, you have some very good teams in the West as well. You have the only conference quarterfinal this week is Everett at uh, Mile High. And Everett, of course, is sort of a Cinderella story of WFA 2. Um, started 0-5. And I don't think it was on anybody's radar for the playoffs, uh, sitting at 0 and 5. But they won three in a row down the stretch, finished three and five, and nudged out the three and five West Coast Lightning for the last spot. Um, and they're going to play the Mile High Blaze, who, you know, Mile High has had a really good first season in the WFA. I, I love Mile High's market. I love their, I, I love the people that I think are in their organization. I think they're smart folks, um, and. Uh, you know, I just think I think Mile High. This is a great sort of reward for them for their first year in the WFA. That you know they can certainly play at this level and be a really really competitive team. And I think that's good for a local market like Denver to have you know a team that's competing at this level in, in the way that Mile High is. And then uh, you know, and I think you know, I think Mile High. But certainly, if Everett beats Mile High, you could throw Everett in too. I think either of those teams could go to Sin City. And uh, and give Sin City a game, although Sin City uh, is having a, uh, an excellent year uh, on their own right. I think that would be a, a very competitive game. And the Midwest region is pretty much St. Louis's uh, to win. St. Louis is, is has a bye into the conference semis, where they'll host Houston. They're a huge favorite over Houston. Houston, frankly, had a WFA three caliber season on the field, um, and. You know, I, they're going to be hard-pressed to, to do that. But St. Louis is just going to be sitting there, rubbing their hands together, licking their chops, waiting for uh, a chance to host the uh, WFA2 Western title game. And, uh, you know, but, but, but there are some very talented teams on the West Coast. So I think that would be uh, uh, certainly a matchup worth watching as well. So I, I love how the WFA1 playoffs are shaking out because – to me, those those matchups are just as interesting and just as compelling, and they're all going to be playing their hearts out because the championship is there for them. I mean, there's no one team in that group who you say, oh, yeah, they're just going to, you know, they're clearly the number one, they're going to steamroll, they're going to whatever. You know, it's it's up for all these teams. There's half a dozen teams in WFA2 that say, we can win this thing, you know, and so I don't know that they're going to say the right things, but they wouldn't have that mentality if there was a Chicago or a Boston or a Dallas, you know, hanging around in that level. I just, they wouldn't have that same optimism now. Absolutely. They can do it. And, uh, and some of those teams have played Chicago, have played Boston. They've played that kind of tough competition. So they're not worried about the competition. They're going to play in WFA two. They know they can handle it and they know they can, they can make a run. So I'm very excited about that tier's playoffs. And uh, I think it's anybody's title to win in that, in that division. So we're going to take a look at uh, week 10 because there's two weeks left in the IWFL in terms of their schedule. This coming week, uh, coming up on week uh, 
week 11, the weekend of the 11th, the IWFL still has a regular season play. Uh, New York is the top dog in the East. They, they beat the um, Carolina Phoenix last week. And so now they get to face the uh, Washington Prodigy, who has played them pretty tough every, every step of the way this season. So we'll see how that turns out. That's a marquee game for this week to see if Washington can uh, muster that. They, they played to a 10-7 um, matchup last time. And then uh, you had Minnesota taking on Rocky Mountain, which I presume it would be a win for them. You have uh, Utah Falcons taking on the Bakersfield Bombers, uh, the Austin Yellow Jackets taking on the San Antonio Regulators, and you have uh, this coming week. That's it, pretty much. Tulsa versus Woodlands. Uh, but you know the the top the top teams that you're looking at right now, or the top dog teams that the IWHL has right now. New York, uh, you know, playing this weekend. You have. Um, the Utah Falcons playing this weekend, the Austin uh, Yellow Jackets, the Minnesota Vixen. So those are the teams to look out. And the next week, week 12, there's two games scheduled in week 12, which is June 18th. Uh, it's going to be Austin against uh, Woodlands and then Rocky Mountain against Nebraska. So we're not going to be able to talk uh, IWFL playoffs until probably the 25th of June. So at, at this point, we might figure out how they're going to work their uh, playoff system since we don't have that available. Um, but uh, it's going to be a pretty, pretty interesting weekend in the IWFL in terms of positioning themselves, who stays undefeated, and who goes into that. But your scenario from the last conversation we had looks to be the scenario that will probably pay, play out at this point. Uh, it's going to look at maybe New York, uh, Minnesota, uh, and it's going to be who's going to challenge the Falcons is really the attitude right now. You know, is it going to be Austin really taking on the Falcons, and can they do something with, uh, against them? Um, or is it going to be Minnesota challenging Utah? Um, so it's kind of a toss-up in that in the IWFL in terms of who will be the powerhouse to probably you know take take care of Utah, which is the runner-up from last year. So. Well, yeah, the IWFL playoffs. The East is basically set. The West is complete chaos. <laughs> so that's kind of what you're looking at in the IWFL with with two weeks to go technically now. Um, it's uh, the Eastern Conference. Let's, let's just get that out of the way right now. Uh, it's going to be the New York Sharks against the Minnesota Vixen. Uh, they both have a substantial enough lead over their uh, their competitor, competitors. They're both locked in. I'm pretty sure the IWFL uses fewest points allowed as a tie-breaking home field metric, which, again, just seems like it's so antiquated in terms of uh, – how to determine home field advantage. I mean, it doesn't factor in strength of schedule or anything. Uh, I often uh, belabor that because the reality is, is if you have points allowed as a tie-breaking thing for home field, it gives you an incentive to essentially when you're up 70 to nothing on a team to keep your starters in to make sure that they don't score because a garbage time touchdown can wind up costing you playoff home field advantage. So I always find that to be silly, but, the IWFL doesn't like to rely on rating systems or logic or common sense. So that's what they use, uh, which, again, is is uh, uh, something that leagues always used to use back in the old days. So it's probably uh, uh, not surprising the IWFL sticks by it, given that they're part of that old guard. But uh, it looks like we're going to have New York at Minnesota. That looks pretty much locked in in the east. I don't see any way that changes. Uh, maybe if Minnesota gets absolutely blown out, uh, you can move the game to New York, but it's a New York-Minnesota matchup. 
I, I mentioned this on the last podcast, and I won't go over it again. I'm so ridiculously excited for New York, Minnesota. Uh, the New York Sharks going at the Minnesota Vixen. The two teams in women's football that have both been around 18 years, uh, that played 18 years ago in the New York Sharks' very first game of their existence, finally playing again, and this time for the Eastern Conference title uh, with a, a, a shot to go to the national title game on the line in the IWFL. Um, that's uh, to me, that's just unbelievably cool. But it's pretty simple and straightforward in the East. You've got New York and Minnesota. I can't see that changing in the final two weeks. The West, completely different story. Complete and total chaos going on in the West in terms of, of, of what's happening. You have uh, the two divisions in the West. Uh, we might as well start with the Pacific because that's a little bit easier to understand. You have the Utah Falcons. You have the Carson Bobcats. They're both undefeated. They don't play each other. So assuming the Utah Falcons win their finale and assuming the Carson Bobcats win their finale, both of which pretty safe assumptions at this point. I mean, the, the Utah Falcons are going to obliterate the Bakersfield Bombers as they have everyone. And uh, uh, I don't see the Carson Bobcats. Uh, uh, they haven't, you know, uh, I don't even know if they play this week. Do they even play in the final week? I, I don't even know if they do. So I don't believe they do. Yeah, so you're going to have two undefeated teams then uh, in that division. Because they didn't play, they have to play. So that's going to be a play-in game. Uh, uh, conference semifinal is how I would label it. Who knows how the IWFL would label it. I would call it uh, a conference semifinal game because that's what it is. Uh, it's a game that, you know, wasn't scheduled in the regular season. It's being tacked on postseason to determine who, you know, who advances in the playoffs. To me, that's a playoff game. But uh, but then you have uh, – that's complicated, but, under, you know, somewhat understandable. I think you're going to have the Utah Falcons and Carson Bobcats in the conference semifinal. The Midwest – no, it's not called the Midwest Division now. It's called the Central Division, I think. Uh, the Midwest is in the Eastern Conference and the Central Divisions in the West. Okay, so I think it's called the Central Conference. Uh, Central, they're calling them conferences. It's the Central Division. <laughs> I'm having a hard time with the idea of all terms. Um, this division is fascinating because basically what you have is you have how many teams in the division? You've got like eight teams in the division, seven, eight teams in the division. But what you have, there's seven teams in the division. But three of them, Rocky Mountain, Colorado, and uh, the Nebraska Stampede, don't play the, any of the other four. Like, there's no overlap between really those three and the teams uh, Tulsa, Houston, Houston, and um, Austin. So they're almost like two entirely separate neighborhoods. You can almost look at it almost like it's one division in the north, one division in the south. And – it's, it makes for a really confusing situation, obviously. Austin is undefeated. Austin is uh, uh, right now on top of the division. However, the Houston Wildcats, or I believe it the Houston Wildcats now, even though the IWSL hasn't updated it, uh, the Houston Wildcats have one loss, and that loss is to Austin. And there's going to be a makeup game for that game in Houston uh, on – they got tacked on to the end of the season. So that one was tacked on on the 18th. That is basically a playoff type of game. 
it's not really a playoff game, but it kind of is in the sense that Houston needs my understanding. And again, it's hard to tell with the IWFL and their tiebreakers. My understanding is, is that if, if Austin wins, then they'd be undefeated. And I would think that would be enough going undefeated to get them into the playoffs, but maybe not. So, if Houston beats Austin and beats them by more than 10, which I believe is what Austin beat Houston by in the first matchup, then the Houston Wildcats would have the advantage and the edge over Austin. But what's going on now is you have the Nebraska Stampede, who are in the northern half of the division. They also have only one loss. And they haven't played Austin. They haven't played Houston. They have a legitimate claim that, hey, we're just as good as they are. Um, They have only lost one game, and that was to a team from the Eastern Conference. So what the IWFL did was they decided, well, we'll give you – they tacked on an extra game for the Nebraska Stampede at the end of the season. So while Houston's playing Austin, Nebraska's going to be playing Rocky Mountain, which I assume is because Rocky Mountain is the number two team in the northern half of that division – although it could be a uh, 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 sort of uh, olive branch to the Rocky Mountain, who they have to be upset over the fact that they've had three of the last four games have been teams forfeiting on them. The Rocky Mountain Thundercats can't seem to get a game in without their opponent forfeiting on them. So this is probably uh, a way to just at least get Rocky Mountain a game. Um, but if Nebraska wins... Neil, Neil do you think anybody... Nebraska might have do you think anybody... Neil, do you think anybody over there is drinking stuff? Because this uh, is—I mean, we're uh, <laughs> we're two weeks we're two weeks left in the season, and we have no playoff bracket. This is the frustrating part. You want to, your people to follow your league. Uh, these are all logistics that should have been taken care of a long time ago. You should have had at least a bracket I, out, yeah, you know, so where people could be interested. I first, Here's the I issue first that heard, I have. Yeah. I first Here's heard the, the internal ire of the IWFL when last year's playoffs happened, where they didn't release a bracket until after the regular season was over. They they had the basic setup that they had had for years, which is an 18 playoff bracket, and that was the setup that they'd had for years and years. So finally, no word about how they're going to structure their playoffs last year. No talk about it. No info. Nothing. At the conclusion of the regular season, the IWFL comes out and says, here's our 10-team bracket. And we're like, 10 teams? What the – wait a second. And and they had teams, you know, there was no explanation for who was who had home field advantage or why teams were matched up the way that they were. They had Pittsburgh and New York, who were the two strongest teams in the Eastern Conference all year, matched up in a conference semifinal. And, and you were like, I, it just – it made absolutely no sense, and I came out and I said, A, this bracket makes absolutely no sense. B, if this was your bracket, why did you wait until after the regular season to tell everybody? And, of course, it, it infuriated the IWFL, and they were, they were, you know, but it's true. So, you know, I'm going to say it. Um, but and, and, again, this year you have kind of the same situation where nobody knows what the rules are in the Midwest Division. <laughs> like nobody – or Central Division, I'm sorry. I keep saying Midwest because that should be in the Western Conference. Midwest? Anyway, the Central Division. Nobody has any idea what the tiebreakers are here in, in terms of who's playing, 
what you know who's in, who's not in. The people in Nebraska have been asking me. The people in uh, uh, Houston have been asking. People in Austin probably wonder. Although for Austin, they're probably just going to say, "Hey, we're undefeated. We're going to keep standing undefeated and get in." And frankly, that's a fine attitude for for Austin because you know they are the only unbeaten team in that division. But, but even Austin probably has to be wondering how many more games do we have to play before we can finally get into the playoffs. Uh, you know, yeah. it's just, you know, and of course, Rocky Mountain cannot be happy about the fact that three of their last four games have been forfeited on them. I mean, that's just killing their right. their ticket sales. So, you know, it's it's. I think all I can continue to do is continue to state these things publicly. Hopefully, people fix these things. I mean, I think even just mentioning over the past several weeks that it looked like Nebraska is going to get, you know, uh, uh, the short end of the stick. You know, now all of a sudden Nebraska has a game in week 12. Well, where did that come from? And you have to think that well, that's why maybe – That's the reason I'm know, saying that. Mentioning these that's issues. That's the reason I'm saying yeah, logistics. Exactly. Logistics are just not very – you know, they're not very uh, fan-friendly. And if you want fans to follow your brand and your teams, you've got to be fan-friendly. I mean, the, the playoff bracket should be laid out at the beginning of the year. You should have an idea of what you're going to do. Eight, eight, eight teams make the playoffs. There's got to be a goal for each team so they can shoot for it. But, you know, mm-hmm. it hasn't happened. Absolutely. So we have to wait, we have to wait two weeks um, for the season to end. And at this point, we're hoping that next week or the week after, they can sort of uh, air out all this stuff because – to your point, that central the central conference is just a mess in terms of who's going to get in, who's not going to get in, who's going to be uh, left behind. Uh, so Neil, well, thanks I wanna, again. I want to say too that uh, you know I want to say too that if you decide at the last minute who's going to get in, then no matter how you decide, it's going to look like favoritism, no matter what you did. And, right. You know, it's, right. It's, it's it's a shame because the reality is is there are so many very very good, very respectable franchises in the IWFL that deserve a better run lead. But there's, it's almost like they're sitting around hoping that, I mean, say what you want about the WFA, but you understand what the rules are. You may not agree with their reliance on Massey or whatever else, but at least it's understandable, and it, you can wrap your brain around it. With the IWFL, you just never know, and you have these really great historic franchises that just keep you know, throwing in with a league that's not well run. And I don't understand it, but, you know, again, you know, hopefully at some point maybe they work for change. But, again, this is a league that's been around for 16 years, so we've been waiting a long time for change. Hopefully it happens, but uh, I, I'm not going to hold my breath on this end, that's for sure. Well, you know, I'm be, I've been one of the uh, outspoken people that have said, you know, um, in my eyes since I've been following the sport since 2009, and, you know, I've said it before not to mock the other league, but in my eyes, I'm going to follow the, the WFA because in, in my eyes so far, it is being structured more like the NFL. It is a lot more friendlier. Okay. You got the Massey ratings that really gave you a gauge in terms of matchups, in terms of competitiveness, uh, strength of schedule. It's more like college football in a lot of sense. If you, if you said it that way, which it has been said for the last what two or three years. And this year was probably one of the most exciting seasons in terms of the sport, in terms of women's football, because the top-tier teams are in the WFA, if I'm a sponsor, as I keep telling people, if I'm a person that's going to be interested in women's football, you got to give me something simplistic, something viable, and something to really dive into. And you, if you have confusion, 
and you can't put up a playoff bracket ahead of time before the season starts, and you can't engage your fans, you know, two or three weeks or a month before the the season playoffs kick off, because everybody anticipates where they're going to be in three or four weeks before the playoffs start, because it's a goal. Even even the fans will anticipate, go, oh, we got to win three games to get in, or we got to we got to you know we can't lose this game because it's going to you know what I mean. So it's, the scenarios mm-hmm. always play out like the last four weeks of the season. So that's exciting. So give me that NFL NFL style of feedback and give me that NFL style of, you know, numbers and, 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 and excitement, and then you got interest. And I think that's where the two differences in the two leagues is. The, the, the WFL, uh, WFA has realized that the Massey ratings is the best way to go, and they've also realized that they, you've got to have competitive matchups for people to even come to the games to look at that and to be visible. And, and to try to people to follow. So, um, you know, hats off to hats off to Lisa and the WFA leadership this year. Um, you know, I, I, I was vocal last year of certain things, but I think this year they got it right. If they continue on this on this structure, which is tier one, tier two, and tier three, you know, I think fans will dive into it. You're, you're going to get a lot more people interested, and it, hopefully down the road here in 2017, it becomes even more exciting so that we get more coverage. You know, Facebook Live. You get more coverage on, you know, editing on YouTube for more exposure. Uh, a couple of the franchises did a great job this year. Chicago did a great job. Majestics have done a great job. The Divas, you know, with promos on, on YouTube and via YouTube and stuff. So there's a lot of positive now, things throw, going on in the WFA. I'd throw the Minnesota Vixen in on that, too. I'd, I'd throw the Minnesota yeah, Vixen in on that, too. I think yeah. they've done a great job. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what I'm saying is, That's you know, there's, there's maybe it's time – for the Sharks and Minnesota to come to the WFA, if when that when if that happens, so New York, Minnesota, I challenge you, the ownership in Minnesota and New York, I challenge you to return to the Premier League in the nation. That's my challenge, and well, then, I, then you're you know, going to be competitive football. I'll I'll say this I'll, I'll say this and and I'll, I'll I'll really make some waves with this, but. Uh, people always talk about the one league solution. We, you know, we want one league. We want one league. We want one league that everybody can understand. And it's like people, when they suggest that that we should have one league, they act like that's a courageous stance. There's no courage in saying that we that we need to have one league, right? Lisa King believes that we should have one league, and Kizzy Disney and Laura Frederick believe that we should have one league. They both think it should be their league. And it does take any courage, you know, people will say, oh, we should have one league, and this isn't a knock against this league, and this isn't a knock against that league. That's a wishy-washy stance. If you want to sit back and say there needs to be one league, then you've got to tell me what league that is. And for me, personally, I've already gone, gone out and said, listen, if you want a one-league solution, then the WSA needs to be your league. I mean, maybe there's another potential league out there that doesn't exist yet that could surpass the WFA? Sure, if we're talking in hypotheticals, one day down the road. But if you're looking at the current situation with the WFA and the IWSL, if you want a one-league solution, it doesn't, it doesn't take any courage to say well, there should be a merger between the two. No, there shouldn't be a merger between the two. Keezy Disney and Lori Frederick should move aside, and we should have one league. That's what we should have, and that's the reality of it, and that's what people don't want to say. Oh, well, we can't say that. You don't want to you – know, you don't want to – but listen – They've been doing this for 16 years, and they still can't get it right. How long are we going to wait for these two women to figure it out and get the thing right? I don't know. Well, so uh, for me, the only thing, the you only have thing, to step um, in and um, say there needs to be one league. Tell me what league that is. 
I've done it. The only other people to do the it. Only thing, that's what I'm on. The only thing that's going to be a factor now, the only thing that's going to be a factor is, is, like I said, which one will elevate themselves to a, a, a national status where the other one will not be relevant. One, one league will have to elevate above the other, and the other league will be considered a developmental league. But you have to differentiate yourselves. One professional, true professional run league versus another developmental league. And I think that's the way that fans will view the, the two leagues right now. I, I'm, as a fan, I'm viewing the WFA as a top-tier league. Uh, not to mock any IWFL you know, franchises or players, but the, no, the way no, not at all. it's being structured right now, I can, if I'm a sponsor, if I'm a TV network executive, okay, I would rather see Chicago competitively versus Boston, D.C. versus Chicago, Pittsburgh versus Chicago, ver- Pittsburgh versus D.C., Central Cal versus, you know, uh, Dallas, Central Cal versus, you know, the shockwave. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like that's where I want to see the competitiveness. So you right. put up a competitive game with one or two touchdowns, people will come to see a game. That's what, that's what the reality is now. The quality on the field is one thing, but the perception you have to change. So in order for you to change the perception, there has to be, uh, you know, the top best teams in the country. So, can, you know, exactly. the, the question will be, yeah. the question will be, can Utah compete with Chicago? Can Utah compete with Pittsburgh? Can Utah, comp- you know, you have that question. So it's a matter well, that's, of Utah I, that's what now I was just going. About to say honestly, that's yeah, what I was it's just a about matter of Utah. Because, you know, it's a matter of the Sharks. Here's yeah. the thing: I want to see the I want to see the Utah Falcons play absolutely, but I want to see them play a team that can stay within fifty. And the, the IWFL can't put up a team, at least in the regular season, that can stay within fifty. And I don't want to see Utah I will, have to I will challenge halfway across the country Neil, to find a team that can stay within Neil. fifty. So that's, that's Neil, part of the you put Utah you you put Utah in tier one on the west coast between Central Cal, Dallas, KC, St. Louis, and you got yourself an amazing Western Conference, just like the East Coast. If you put Utah, oh, Utah yeah. in the middle of the West you know, Coast. If you put the, the Falcons, Falcons up against the Elite, Utah against Falcons, Arlington, yeah. against St. Louis, mm-hmm. against uh, KC and the Sours sisters. You, uh, against the Majestics, the Shockwave, uh, you put them up against Central Cal or the Pacific Warriors. See, now that's what I'm saying. It's like it, it's a matter right. really of where, what league do you want to be in. You want to be in the Premier League or you want to be in the Developmental League, and that's how I view the right. two leagues. So if anybody well, if, if anybody is if anybody's offended, uh, then you know it's just a reality. That's no, what I, it is now. I can I, well, first of all, having this discussion and the Utah Falcons people are very sensitive about this. First thing is. You're not insulting the Utah Falcons by saying any of this because the reality is it's not their fault they're annihilating every team they play by 50. I mean, it's, it's not, that's not a knock on them. It's, it's a fact, and it's really not a knock on the teams that they're beating, but the reality is is the teams that they're beating aren't on the same level developmentally as, as the Utah Falcons. That's just a reality. And that's the and key. That's gonna, the key, the they're level. They're all going to say the nice things about, about losing 70-6, to six, but it's, you know, it's not fun to watch. The thing I'll say about the Utah Falcons, though, is this. You know, they're in a tough spot because the WFA, for all of the things the WFA does right, and I think they do so many things right, they have this absurd, they have their own antiquated attachment to saying if there's a WFA 3 team, that the WFA 3 team has the right to, you know, reject any other entry into the league within a 50-mile radius or something absurd. 
when, you know, no WFA three team should have that kind of territorial right over over, you know, where a WFA one team decides it wants to go. I mean, a WFA one team, you know, is the 800 pound gorilla. Where does it sit? It sits wherever it wants. To me, if the WFA wants to, the WFA is the number one league in women's football. It has been for six years, and it's high time that people, not only within the sport but outside the sport, start to see that. And that's a problem with the IWFL is that they market themselves as the number one league, and they fool people who, who don't know any better into believing it when, you know, that, that that's part of what needs to stop. But, you know, and that's part of my opposition to it. But, you know, if the WFA wants to go from we're already the number one league but we want to strangle hold on it, then you need to get, you know, Utah needs to, Utah needs to go where Utah needs to go. And the WFA needs to be as open to that as Utah does. And, and that's actually a two-way street, and I'm not going to put that all on Utah. So, you know, they both need to have that moment, and I think hopefully both of them get but there you know, because, again, that can only help the sport. Those matchups would be terrific and, and something I think every women's football fan would want to say. So the on a business on a business side of things, I think they have to revisit that because that's 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 really bad. On a business Absolutely. side of things, if this is a quality football team, which Utah is, and we we have to give them credit, it's not their fault that they're that they're blowing up, you know, lesser lesser quality teams. Uh, but you know, to compete with an elite squad, to compete with the you know uh, Kansas City, to compete with Central Cal, uh, to put them in that same level. The the only way the only thing that Utah does to the WFA is elevate the branding, and I think that's where they have to look at. This team would elevate Absolutely. the branding, Absolutely. puts it on another level on the West Coast. With the tier system, it doesn't have to be a you know it doesn't have to be an issue. You know, I mean, you have a Utah team in tier three, you have a Utah team in tier one. They can coexist, Correct. they can get along because the reality is is both of those teams are going to exist anyway. So if you want right. to create a, a a a a friendly atmosphere where you know you know both teams recognize that the falcons are the top team in the in the region but or in the state or what have you but both teams also recognize that the blitz have a right to exist and a right to be you know uh, to me it's like having them in the same league is more beneficial than having them in separate leagues because if you have them in separate leagues then you're never going to develop a, a good relationship between the two at least if you have them in the same league you have a league office that can go, you know, that can go between these two franchises that can develop that relationship. And and to me, I, I, I think it's great always to have, you know, I don't think it's a bad thing to have two teams in the same region in the sense of, you know what, players who aren't going to get playing time can go to the other one. But everybody knows if you're a top player, what one you'd, you'd go to. So, you know, I, I there doesn't have to be that conflict. I think the Utah Falcons and the Utah Blitz can both win a national championship under a tier system. You know, they can both win a WFA championship. The Falcons right, can win exactly. in tier one and the Blitz can win in tier three. There doesn't have to be that animosity. But, again, right. it only works if all parties come to the table and say, let's stop being foolish about this. Let's stop being childish about this. Let's stop thinking about our own little interests and think about what the sport needs. What the sport needs is really good Falcons matchups. They need to see the Falcons play really good teams, and not to say that the other teams in the IWFL aren't good, aren't really good, but they're on a different level developmentally from the Utah Falcons, and it doesn't help anybody. So I want to see teams matched up with teams that are on their developmental level. That's why I think the tier system is good, and that's why I think that uh, you know the top teams gravitating 
where they belong to a well-run league is also good. And I know that's going to get a lot of it's going to get a lot of fire from IW. Again, I, I'm used to that. I think these are the conversations that need to be had if we want to grow this sport to the level it needs to get to. Yeah, and the the reality is the IWFL, if you compare it to a tier system, their level of play, certain select teams are at tier two. The rest of it is at tier three. It's just the reality of it. That's what that's what it is. And you have certain select teams in the WF in the IWFL that would be tier one. You know, there's uh, New York would be tier one, Carolina tier one, Minnesota. Um, you, you know, you got Montreal, you got Utah. Carson could probably be tier one at this point, given you know the, the, their ability that they've done this year. So there's a couple. You know, there's a handful of teams in the IWFL that would be considered tier one in the WFA, and that would make it well, for I'm, I, very highly competitive games. Yeah. To be perfectly honest with you, if you look at the IWFL, you know, you know there are there's one team in the IWFL, which is the Utah Falcons, who would be a legit contender in WFA1, which is to say they would be in WFA1 and they would have their eyes on the prize, going to the conference title game, going to the national title game, winning the national title. There are other teams in the IWFL who would who could play in Tier 1, who could opt into Tier 1, who can play, who can be very competitive, who can beat other Tier 1 teams. Harder to believe they're necessarily going to win the WFA1 championship or be a serious contender for doing so, just right, given exactly. the historical, you know, given the historical nature of, you know, you look at Montreal, you look at New York, you look at, look, I'm not insulting those teams, or, or you look at Carolina, I'm not insulting those teams, but look at their history with Pittsburgh. You know, Pittsburgh is a four seed in, w, you know, in the WFA, in the Eastern Conference, you saw their histories with with the Pittsburgh passion. You saw it, you know, how those, how those things went out. Could they play in tier one? They could definitely organizationally run themselves as a tier one team and, you know, compete with the Atlantas and the Clevelands and, 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 you know, if they want to play the best, they can play the best. Are they, are they going to compete with, compete with them without more development and growth? They had a hard time with Pittsburgh. That's the level. Now they've seen the level they need to get to, but you know, again, you know that's where that's where you have this tier system. That, you know the WFA has a level for everyone who wants to be in it. But the issue, the fundamental issue, is you have probably about a dozen owners in the IWFL, a dozen team owners of you know well-meaning owners of really good and historic teams and whatever that for some reason have cast their lot with Frederick and Disney and will not reconsider that. They're just we are going with this thing and we are riding this horse till it drops and. At some point, you just have to step back and say, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? There's no reason we have to do it. There's no reason we have to be in a league that is run this way. There's, I mean, there's no reason you have yeah. to. But, you know, until they have that epiphany, I can't make them have that epiphany for them. they got to come around no. to it. And, you know, I'm just saying the reality is they'll see the reality is going to be when a sponsor or somebody already takes a look at the WFA as a reality and a real sponsor comes in play, then they're going to realize – that they should have been on the right all along. So hopefully that's that's forth you know forthcoming. So Neil, uh, tell everybody where they can get your book, uh, the encyclopedia. Absolutely, the women's football encyclopedia. Uh, NeilRosendahl.com is my website. You can find me. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. You can find uh, the women's. Gridiron Football Group, which is a Facebook group that I manage. Uh, you can uh, find more about the encyclopedia. Go to my website. There's a tab. It says books. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to get the word out to people. 
This is not a book about one individual league. It's not a book about one individual team. It's not a, you know, this covers the entire history of the sport, A to Z, teams that currently exist, teams that used to exist, teams that people would otherwise have forgotten about. Um, check it out, Women's Football Encyclopedia, neilrosendahl.com. Hit me up. You know, it's it's. I think it's a, re, uh, a great resource on women's football history, and uh, people seem to like it. But I'm trying to get it in more people's hands, so uh, uh, you can contact me there and uh, uh, learn a little bit more about the history of the sport. All right, then. Thanks for coming in. I really appreciate. It. I know it's last minute. Uh, we'll keep tabs next week. Uh, if you're, you're you know you're welcome to come back next Tuesday or the Tuesday after if you want, and then we'll kind of dissect uh, you know the outcomes. Uh, June 11th and then obviously going into June 25th as well so thanks again Neil for coming in I really appreciate it no glad to do it thanks for having me on have a great um, weekend and safe travels out there all right you too take care all right uh, let's see Troy Troy you on still is it Holly Holly are you on yes I am Okay, Ollie, I think Troy dropped off here. Let me double-check, see what's going on here. Uh, let's see if I got a message here at all. Let's hold on for a second. And see here. Yeah, no problem. So Troy's uh, going to bail on us for today, but he'll be back next week. So we'll we'll talk about football um, you got to hear a little bit of Neil's conversation about the playoff formatting. Uh, I know mm-hmm. you were up uh, against the game and Majestic is against Shockwave. So, um, you know, pretty pretty good game, 29-15, very evenly matched all all four quarters until the end there. And so uh, right. tell us about, about the game. Pretty exciting. Well, um, I mean – after the the first time we played, uh, they had us pretty good. Uh, I think it was forty to nothing uh, down in Portland, and so we've been, you know, kind of circling this on on the calendar, uh, you know, trying to uh, see if we can avenge that loss. Um, you know, going into the playoff seating, we knew it was going to be kind of tough, even if we did win the game, just because of how the the ranking system uh, is set up. Um, but we still really wanted this victory. And um, uh, the game started off very, very competitively. Um, they, uh, the Shockwave got out to a 14 to nothing lead. Um, and then I think uh, our quarterback, Vanessa Kasky, had I think it was maybe a 60-yard touchdown. Um, and then we had an onside kick, got the ball back, and then two plays later, Kiki Williams ran up the sideline for, I think, another 50, 60-yard touchdown. So within a span of about a minute and a half, it was 14 to 12 uh, going into halftime. Um, and in the second half, we actually have a ball uh, on the, I think, the five-yard line going in to try to score. And uh, we kind of threw in a different offensive package, um, hoping that it would work. And then um, we got the ball to the point where it's fourth and goal, I think, from the two, and there was a quarterback sneak. And Kasky, um, I'm going to have to check the replay on it because we think that she reached the ball across the goal line to score, but the ref didn't see it, and then there was a fumble, and then the shockwave recovered it. 
And so it was one of those plays that you really wish that you had instant replay, but we're not to the point that we have that in women's football because it was very, very close. And, uh, and, and if you, you watch, know, had uh, she crossed if you watch the highlight, <laughs> if you watch the highlight on the, uh, re- on the, um, on the video highlight, you can clearly see she went over the line and then it got yeah, kind of away from her. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, so <laughs> it's a, I just posted it like an hour ago, but if you watch the highlight, she stretched over right over the line, and she did literally make it, but it somehow as it landed onto the uh, onto the goal line, it sort of came off her hand, and then it got right. kicked over. So I don't it's know, if, you know if the ref that, saw it because it was kind of obscured. Yeah, it, it, it's a tough one for the ref because it's all happening so fast. But it's one that, you know, if we were to the point of uh, college or NFL with all the replays, it would definitely be a reviewable call because she crossed the line. But at this point, there's nothing we can do about it. That That's how the game is set up right now. So, unfortunately, that one didn't bounce our direction. And I think that play kind of turned the momentum back in the Shockwave's favor, and they were able to finish out the rest of the game. But it was still really competitive. Um, and all things considered, it's tough because of the way that the system is set up in our division. We Even if we had won that game, we probably would have been at home still, not in the playoffs. So it's kind of tough. But at the same time, right. it speaks to the development of the Shockwave. It also speaks to the development of our team, considering all the things that we've dealt with this year and all the injuries we've had. I'm very proud of our team because people don't understand exactly how many injuries we had. Um, and the players that were injured were key players that basically three of our captains were out the entire season. <laughs> and that's a big deal to um, a women's football team. And considering all that and watching some of these other players develop, it's really encouraging for the future of our program because we've all we've done is added more depth. So I'm really encouraged because as some of those injuries and people start coming back, it's going to really help propel us in, in the future. So hopefully next season we'll go a little bit further. Now uh, the playoff scenarios, as we, we just went through with uh, Neil, um, you guys mm-hmm. being out. So, uh, you know, Portland being the featured story, I think all season, they've, they, since the merger, they've, you know, you coming from Portland as well. So, this has got to be kind of exciting in one way. I mean, you're, you know, obviously you're injured. Your team doesn't make the playoffs, but your former team sort of merges, and then all of a sudden it's kind of like a, the story of the year with, with the shockwave. So, um, you know, the potential is there for them to go deep. I don't know if, um, you know, if they if they win out in the first in the if they win out in the first round against the Warriors, they would get Central Cal as a big test. And then, right. uh, so they got they got an uphill battle, I think. Yeah, no, it's definitely really cool because I, I I know not the entire team, but pretty close to it because I've either played with or a lot or, or against a lot of those people for for years. So it's really cool to to watch that happen because I think there's this misconception that people don't realize how much talent is in the Northwest. It's just that the talent in the Northwest has been so spread out amongst so many different teams that people don't realize how, how many talented players are out here. And so the merger in Portland is a really good example of how much talent is out here. And um, I definitely think 
um, that they, the game against the Pacific Warriors that they play this weekend will be a very competitive game. Um, I think my understanding is that Pacific might be a little banged up from their game against Central Cal, so it'll be interesting to see how they hold up. But if the shockwave, you know, uh, gets past them, it's going to be a really interesting test against Central Cal because I also know too, and that would be a very physical grudge match, the way that both teams are built. And so I think that would be a very fun game to watch. Yeah, and you got, you know, if they do make it to against Central Cal, then they, they ultimately will probably face Dallas. <laughs> if they beat Central yeah. Cal, they would, they're taking on Dallas. So it's a big hurdle. You know, you take on yeah. PAC, which is well-tested in the West, then you would have to take on the West Juggernaut, which is, in you know, the, the Cal War Angels, and then you take on mm-hmm. the Elite. <laughs> and if their name says it all, <laughs> you are taking on the Elite. And uh, given right. Odessa's track record of, of you know uh, offensive assault, uh, big test to overcome. So uh, the road out west a little tougher, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, but you know what? Um, it's 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 what we uh, what we wanted, as we just talked to Neil about. It's really what the WFA should be all about. You know, very competitive. Now it's evenly matched. It's you know you're in you you win you're in or you or you go home. You know you win or you go home. It's really, you know, you get to this level. That's why everybody plays at this level to see how, you know, how well you are. Um, but, you know, it, it hats off to them. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's a big story for them. Yeah. Uh, Seattle, you know, like you said, your 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 squad really rebounded pretty well. Uh, you know, they mustered. They they kind of bonded together and they put up a good finish at the end. Uh, but you know, but Portland obviously the better squad this year, and that's why they get the nod to go to the playoffs. So, but, you know, hats off to all the Majestic girls out there and all their efforts, um, given all the intangibles that were all going on through the season. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I think it's a really good setup for our division because we also have Everett in the Tier 2 playoffs and we have uh, Southern Oregon and hopefully in the Tier 3 playoffs. And I think for the development of our division – having these tiers is going to be really good because they're going to have to, you know, go and play different teams. And like I, I've told a lot of players you know, on my team in, in our little area up here in the Northwest, it sometimes you don't know, you don't know yourself until you leave yourself. You don't know how good you are until you leave your little area. And I think our division needs to do that more. So the tier system I think is actually going to really benefit teams like, like Everett and Southern Oregon um, because, for example, Everett, I'm really proud of them. They started own five, like, and I know a lot of those players, and they spent a lot of time in the off season going to camps and stuff, and working really hard. And I think the biggest hindrance that they've had is is confidence. And so it's kind of fun to see them win three games in a row and start to develop that confidence, and hopefully they can carry that into the playoffs. Um, and uh, but yeah, I love the tier system because com- competition is the name of the game, and like that's why you play. And the more competitive games we have out there as a sport, the better chances we have to attract you know uh, some sponsors and, and some, somebody to come in and, and help our sport. Yeah, it and and this is a good system. This is uh, I think uh, we talked about it before. Uh, the WFA is smart about this. They should keep this. 
because you have a developmental college system, and I think this works well if you manage it well. You have Division One, Division Two, Division Three, so it's all in stages of development. Uh, I know the Mexican leagues we talked about before, the FFX Mexico and Mexico, has their three divisions as well. You know they have the extraordinary division, uh, the beauty division, and the uh, the strong division, and so they're allowed to, uh, based on record in each division, they're allowed to move into different tiers. Uh, so a perfect example was uh, the Vikingas uh, this past weekend. Last year, they were in division, what you would consider WFA Tier 2, and they earned the championship. So by winning the championship, the league said, you are now Tier 1 because you've surpassed, right. you've surpassed everything else. So they moved to Tier 1, and they, and they win Tier 1 championship this year. So it, it's, just, you know, it's just one of those things where it's, you're back-to-back champions on a different tier, but, hey, that says a lot about moving from one tier to the next and actually winning the championship all the way around. So – I think developmental-wise for, for developing the sport, number one, for um, engaging uh, the amount of level of talented squads, the interconference games I think is still is okay uh, in that sense because even if you're pl- playing a Tier 1 team and you get blown out, you can learn from it. You know, if you play one or two right. Tier 1 teams or Tier 2 teams, you learn from it. But in the end, like you said, you know, a team like Southern, uh, the Southern Oregon Lady um, – Gay, uh, renegades who would normally not get an opportunity in a tier one final or playoff or tier two playoff, they technically get a, you know an opportunity to stand out in a tier three developmental standout. So I mean then you got to give them credit at least because they they sort of fought you know to uh, the up, the upper tiers uh, in order for them to earn their record, and so you know it's mm-hmm. kind of deserving to give them a shot at you know the lower tier championship. So uh, I think that you know if the WFA is smart in a business on a business aspect of it, which I think they are, uh, this is the way to go. You have the Massey ratings with the, with you know to compile that. You have the structure there. Just you know you, the schedule has to be thought through. So it's it's just really a matter of somebody diving in after this this year, and somebody has to literally sit down logistically and say how can we make it better? How can we put something together better? And so, you know, money is going to be an issue as well for travel purposes. But, you know, look, look, at, look what happened this year. Dallas, because Odessa was so, you know, uh, into the loss in, in the final that she was willing to, you know, put up the money before the playoffs to go face the, the champs. So it's kind of the same concept. You, you're going to have to figure out one – each team on the West Coast is going to have to figure out one game out of the year – where you would have, you know, Majestic's Central Cal or, you know, Portland Central Cal or, you know, you're going to have to come up with one game in the regular season where you can put a Northwest versus a, a Southern Cal team just to gauge how, you know, how much of a talented, you know, disparity there is. So, I, I, yeah, you know, going I, forward, I think I the think, West is um, suffering financially. Yeah, I, I think with, with the West Coast, uh, uh, I've – played Central Cal several times in my career, so I think the the West Coast, North versus South, is there. What we need to do more is the the West versus Midwest. So we need to have more like games between like Seattle and Dallas, Portland and Kansas City. Like that part isn't quite there yet. So we need more interconference games across division lines that direction. I think more because I don't think there's ever been a game, at least that I know of, that 
Tails ever played Dallas, or maybe they have uh, several years ago, but not recently. Um, I think that needs to happen, and I think there definitely needs to be more, um, you know, Dallas versus D.C. type games as well. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, competition is, is again, where, where it's at, and especially if you're talking about Tier 2, for example, as well, because I've played on teams – um, the first team I played on, Corvallis, in this little itty-bitty town, Corvallis, Oregon, was a very, very small market team. I'm talking, I think there's like 30,000 people in Corvallis total that live there. So it's very, very small. <laughs> and and when you are a team that's getting absolutely annihilated by these big teams, you know, 60, 70 points, it's a little disheartening. And so you keep you keep playing because you love playing. But this tier system it, it breeds that competition at a different level. So if you are like an Everett and you are trying to develop your team, it rewards you for getting better because you do have a chance at, at getting somewhere. And um, and I think in that way, as a whole, the whole entire sport will get better because now you don't have an excuse to, 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 to just accept that you're going to get destroyed. Now you have something to work towards, and I think that, that will help everybody. Yeah, I, I, the way I see it right now is the East is the bread and butter for this league to get noticed, um, as we talked about before. But the, the potential on the East, on the West Coast is so much there just because of the gap. But it doesn't mean that there is lesser quality teams. It's just if you want to get noticed, you got to continue doing what you did this year, which is basically you know showcase the marquee marquee games with the uh, major, mm-hmm. uh, major metro markets, so that you know people get the feeling that this is NFL quality football. You know, it's not just, you know, some just regular league. Somebody will eventually notice it is that, you know, just like they, you know, they did with the XFL and how they did it with, you know, the other leagues that or men's uh, pro leagues that come and go all the time. So it's just a matter of doing that. Um, Holly, uh, recovery-wise, where are we at? Are we better? I saw you with no crutches yeah. anymore and shaking hands at midfield. So. Um, so I am now completely off crutches, um, and I have a smaller brace now. Um, I'm about 115, 100 degrees of, of range, so a lot better. My quad is, is still fairly small, but it's getting stronger. Um, my incisions, my scars are starting to look a little bit better. Um, I'm doing better. Basically, um, I'm walking now. It's not always 100% as smooth quite yet, maybe another couple of weeks maybe, um, but I'm getting really close to having that be – uh, walking fairly normal, so I'm 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 getting really close to the point where hopefully I'll, I'll start to maybe in the next month or so. Uh, the, my goal is to start to getting to the point where I can maybe hopefully jog in a month or two. <laughs> it's so crazy how like the smallest things are like the hugest victories. Um, oh, when yeah. I get in and out of the car, I don't have to do it in a sideways weird angle. I can just get in and out of the car now. Um, having no crutches is great because people don't realize when you have crutches, it takes away your hands. You can't carry anything. And so it's a huge hassle because like even cleaning my apartment, it takes like, it would take like 12 trips for me to do anything. And now I have my hands so I can carry things. (laughs) I don't have to use the electric scooter at the grocery store anymore. (laughs) I'm I'm moving up. Those are all bonuses. Those are bonuses. So you, that's awesome. you would be surprised, though. Like, number one, the electric scooter is very, very, very slow. 
Number two, you don't realize how, like, rude people are until you're an electric scooter and, and, and old ladies are cutting you off. <laughs> and oh, yeah. you can't oh, yeah. get you can't get and, to the milk. And, <laughs> and me, me and Troy were just uh, mocking at you last weekend because we saw you that you were in Vegas. And uh, so yes. we were, like, checking, out, checking you out in Vegas. And we were like, uh, she's not on crutches anymore. And uh, we were like, yeah, I don't think she's, I don't think she's, uh, hi- you know, being hindered in Vegas anymore. Just if she shows well, up you, in Vegas. you know, the funny part was Vegas <laughs> was actually my uh, chance to get basically the training wheels off. And so I went down with one crutch, and I brought out the crutch just in case I would get tired because I wasn't quite sure, sure exactly where I was at. So I kind of did it in stints where I had one crutch for a bit. And then I went without the crutch. And there were times when I was walking, quote-unquote, walking faster than, than people with, you know, obviously no leg problems. I'm like, man, like, people are really slow, or maybe I'm just naturally faster. And I have a really bad leg, and I'm just, like, passing uh-huh. people up. But it was it was actually really helpful because it helped me gain the confidence and being without the crutch. The sun was helpful. Sure. Um, I got in the pool for a little bit, and and that was fun until I tried to to swim with one leg, and I ended up doing instead of swimming straight a big curve, because it was like I was a, a fish with one broken fin, and so it, I'm that fish that just goes around in a circle instead of going straight, <laughs> but it still felt really nice. Awesome. So yeah, I mean, uh, it was great to to see you up and up and running, and that's what we were just kind of you know messing with you. I was like, well, she's in Vegas, so I guess there's something, there's good stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, this this last um, game uh, was the first game I've been to uh, without without crutches, and yeah. it was it was a lot more fun. And there was a point where I think it was Vanessa Kasky ran that first touchdown back, where like I almost started running, and I had to like calm myself down and be like, okay. Probably shouldn't do that yet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, get hobbled back again. <laughs> That's not a good sign. Yeah. 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 No, but we're doing really um, well. The ligaments are healing well, and um, I'm just in the process of rebuilding the muscles around it. So yeah. So I I'm happy that you're uh, back almost at full strength. So that's great. And you know the majestic season didn't end as as we thought it would be, but you know we got to give it up uh, give some props to the northwest which is you know they ha- they actually have a representative in the playoffs so i guess that's a, that's got to be a good thing uh with portland so um i'm going to run down some stuff here i don't know if you need to bail okay. but we only got uh we got about 10 minutes here so uh we got to go through uh, uh legends football league this weekend uh on the uh, youtube channel omaha heart taking atlanta steam it was basically a blowout 77 to 0 uh omaha really uh, came in playing, you know, with a good 26-6 victory over the expansion Liberty, which is no no benchmark. And then all of a sudden they take on, you know, a juggernaut, which is Atlanta on a level of Seattle. So there you go, 77-0, no contest. No contest. Uh, Atlanta opens up the season, just basically tearing them a new one. Uh, they got to rebuild. Omaha needs to uh, re- uh, bounce back because they get Chicago Bliss. Not an easier task anymore. They get Chicago Bliss July 2nd. So that's going to be even tougher. The uh, game that's coming up this week at the playoff Im- implications, uh, and we'll review the Omaha Heart Steam next week once the um, LFL YouTube video goes on, and we'll review it with, um, with Troy. But uh, next, the next week that's coming Saturday, the Temptation taking on the Austin Acoustics. So Austin looking uh, 
to get uh, to rebound based on their 46 to 6 whooping by Dallas and uh, Los Angeles um, basically won 32 to 32 against Dallas Desire. So it's a must win for the Temptation if they want to stay in the playoff race. Uh, for Austin, it is a must win if they even want to salvage their season. So must win on both sides. More crucial for Los Angeles because if they win, at least they're 2-0 and and they get a chance uh, against Seattle. So um, we'll keep an eye out this weekend, Saturday, June 11th, and that's going to be at Cedar Park Center in Cedar Park, Texas, the home of the Austin Acoustics, taking on the Los Angeles Temptation. Check out our Facebook page, our Twitter feed for all the updates um, via LFL360.com. And so uh, you have in Mexico the finals, this the playoff finals, FX Mexico. You check out our Facebook page for the results there. It's uh, Vikingas uh, taking off uh, back-to-back titles. They won the uh, Fuertes Championship Division last year. This year they edge the, the, the Titans 32-26 uh, in the uh, strong division, which is the Fuertes Division. The Dolphins uh, girls take on, uh, took on the, the Black Panthers. They win 24-22, so congratulations to the Dolphins. And uh, the Bayas Division, which is the beauty division, the Jaguars edge the Demonias, the Demons, uh, girls 26 to 20 in the FFX uh, 2016 finals. So congratulations to them. We're keeping tabs on the Finland League, which is the uh, Maple League, and there's a couple players on the uh, WFA: uh, Leah Kaspar and uh, Elise Stephens and Courtney Powell, um, UZ of Indy Crash. Um, so they're be, they're going to be playing on a couple squads uh, in the Maple Series League. So we're keeping tabs on them. The championships on August 13th, but week one ended up coming over 22 to six. The Roosters uh, defeated the GS Demons and the Huskies uh, lose to the Valkyries, the uh, Russian Valkyries, 48 to zero. You got the uh, 50 to zero, the Anders Trojans, uh, 50 to 14, I'm sorry, 50 to 14 Anders Trojans. The debut of Leah Kassler over 250 yards rushing. So congratulations to her. 20 to zero, the Crocodiles. Uh, beat the Jaguars as well behind uh, Tina Salo and her ex- impressive outing out there. So, um, you know, exciting football still to be played. We got the Swedish league, the Finnish league. Uh, we got the uh, German leagues in play. Also have uh, CAFF uh, this weekend, which is the uh, Italian league playing also overseas. So in Europe alone, we got action going on as well as the WFA playoffs in the States. We still have the women's Western Canadian ch- um, Football League, they're going to be kicking off here in, in next week as well. So a lot of football in North America, Holly, still to be played. So it's ongoing. Uh, it's always ongoing. So for us, it's always busy. So we'll, we'll stay in touch with that. And then you also have Lexpa in Mexico who will start their playoffs as well. So a lot of international play, um, and that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I I love listening to all these scores because it, it means that the sport is growing. The more uh, scores that you have to go through, the better for the game. Yeah, and, and we have, you know, the 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 Maple the Maple Series League, which is the Finland the Finland League. Uh, it's a very top notch league, so similar to the WFA in a lot of aspects. So, so, and then obviously the the Swedish League as well. So on a, on a on a big scope, which is you know the IFAB World Championship scope, uh, a lot of the a lot of the squads come from those two leagues as well, the Swedish League and uh, and the Finland League. Um, and then obviously you, the 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 play in Finland is is top notch also, so they've always finished like third in the world championships. So they they've always had good squads. So uh, Holly, thank you for coming in. Appreciate it. 
Uh, look forward to next week if you want to join us. Always welcome. And uh, we'll keep tabs on the scores this weekend. Maple Series, like I said before, we got Lexfa coming up. We also have WFA playoffs. Uh, IWFL should be coming up in two weeks here for the playoffs. We're waiting for the playoff brackets to show up. Uh, Legends Football League this weekend on YouTube and as well as in Austin, Texas. So a lot of women's uh, great iron still to be played. And congratulations once again to the um, Kuliakon uh, um, Evil Queens who defeated the West Angels 47-32 for the PGFL Pretty Bowl 3 down in Mexico. So we look forward to uh, another exciting edition of The Blitz right here on Block Talk Radio, ultimatesportstalk.com, and johnmamedavis.wix.com, LFL Network. So for Holly Custis and Troy Wilson, Oscar Lopez saying have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you here next Tuesday for the Gridiron Blitz right here on Block Talk Radio. Have a great night. Thank you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.